0: We interrupt our regular broadcast of the book of First John this morning to take a bit of a side quest into uh, Luke chapter two here. So Luke chapter two. I love this time of year. I love, I love the lights. I love the colors. I love we sing Christmas carols. We, we do all sorts of things that we only do a certain time of the year. It's always special. And one of the things I've done over the years is I like to study the the Christmas carols and the, the hymns, Christmas hymns where they come from and the stories behind them and stuff because most of them have pretty interesting stories. And one of the ones that caught my attention this year was God rest ye merry gentlemen. The traditional Christmas carol first appeared in a broadsheet uh, in England dated 1760 AD, so it's a very old song but the earliest manuscript is actually from an anonymous source in 1650 AD. The first instrumental variation appeared in 1815 by Samuel Wesley, the son of Charles Wesley, the famous hymn writer, and then it eventually became super famous when Charles Dickens put it in his in his production, A Christmas Carol, his book, A Christmas Carol, where the carolers are outside Scrooge's workshop singing, God rest You merry gentlemen, and that's when he comes out and he chases them off. So, The carol, though, is often misunderstood to say, God rest you, merry gentlemen. But that's not written that way. It's not written to merry gentlemen. It's recalling a group of men who were not merry, the farthest thing from it. It's recalling a group of men of the fear that the shepherds experienced and then the words the angel spoke to turn their fear to joy. The original lyrics from 1650 are kind of funny because they say, sit, yo, Mary. Sit, yo, Mary is not a phrase we use today. We also don't say, God, rest you, Mary. But the phrase sit, yo, Mary is a long, extinct English phrase that means, may God keep you, or may God give you rest. So the idea behind this song is, may God keep you, gentlemen shepherds, Let nothing dismay you because Jesus has been born to rescue all those who've gone astray from God and as a result are under Satan's power. This news is not intended to make you fearful, dear shepherds, but to bring comfort and joy. Now, the carol originally had eight stanzas. Christians today usually sing three at most. But as I was looking at the song, it's the seventh stanza that got me thinking this Christmas. So if we could put the lyrics up there for the... Seventh stanza, there we go. Now to the Lord sing praises all you within this place. And with true love and brotherhood each other now embrace. This holy tide of Christmas all other doth deface. What's that? That's kind of a weird line to end it with. Given that this is the seventh stanza... It comes as like one of the last things that the angels are trying to communicate to the shepherds. And it speaks of where the shepherds needed to end up after their experience with the angels. These guys were gonna go and find Jesus lying in the manger just like the angel said and be so excited because the Messiah has been born. And they're gonna have that bond together with one another. And then they're gonna go out and tell other people about it. But, not everyone is going to shout the praises with them. Some will deface. And so the idea is this song is to encourage, may God keep you in rest. May God keep you in the midst of sharing the good news as you share it with each other and rejoice together, but recognize there may be some who don't want to receive it, but they still need to hear it. The idea behind this Seventh stanza is that we're to be praising God together and embracing those who share our faith in spite of a world around us that openly might reject Jesus. That's what the shepherds would experience. In 1982, a major denomination changed that last line in their hymnals to this holy tide of Christmas doth bring redeeming grace so that the song ended on a note of redemption rather than condemnation. That line is also true, but I wonder if it misses the full point of the shepherd's experience in Luke chapter 2. You see, tidings of comfort and joy isn't a big deal when everyone around you agrees with you. You know, like somebody comes to you and says, i got great news for you. What's the great news? Well, this is going on. Yeah, well, everybody knows that. It wouldn't be great news. How is that supposed to help me? The angel's news would bring comfort and joy to the shepherds despite the world around them. And so, that lyric got me thinking about the world as it would exist after the shepherds received this news, and how that might relate to us today. So, let's look at Luke chapter 2. We're just going to study verse 10 this morning, because it's just part 1, but I want to read verses 8 through 12 to get the context. This is right on the same day Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's what the first seven verses talk about. But now in verse 8, it says, And they were in the same country, that same region, shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That would be a miracle because, moms, you don't put your babies in mangers. You don't put your babies in feeding troughs, right? So that would be the, like, is there any, anybody seen a baby in a feeding trough? Yeah, that weird, you should ask, over there. And that would be part of the miracle. You're like, wow, it, that's exactly like the angel said. So this news then in verse 10, the message or the announcement, the tidings of comfort and joy, it kind of focuses on four things the angel says to them. Number one, fear not. Number two, behold. Number three, I bring you good tidings of great joy. and Number four, that great joy shall be to all people. So let's look at the message to the shepherds and how it would help them to deal with the existing world after this special day and how that might relate and apply to us. So number one, the first part of the message, fear not. Fear not. Why were the shepherds afraid? Well, two things. The sudden appearance of an angel, and then God's glory shining from every side. Now, why would the sudden appearance of an angel startle them or frighten them? Well, if anything suddenly popped in front of me, I think I would be frightened. I was—I go for walks in the morning, or try to, and I was out walking on Saturday morning, and I don't know if, if we have, it was just like a bunch of squirrels or something. We have a lot of squirrels, and they like to be out in the morning. And so... As I was walking, I'm walking down this road, and to the left is a forested area, and all of a sudden, I swear, it seemed like some dude was running out of the forest at me. Like I said, I think it was just a bunch of squirrels. I heard uh, squirrels, it's a scurry of squirrels. A scurry of squirrels came after me. No, just kidding. Anyway, I was immediately startled, and just kind of, you know, looking to defend myself because I thought someone was coming at me. Didn't see anything, so probably just squirrels. The point is, if someone just popped in front of you, it'd probably frighten you or startle you. But the language here indicates not that they were startled, but that they remained frightened. They were terrified. Not just that they were initially startled. And they remained terrified because angels are very different than us. I have a unique habit of just coming up on people when they don't think anyone's there. I I don't know why it is. I do it to my wife all the time, but I do it to other people as well. And I just come up on them and they're like, ah! (laughs) But even that is not the same as when just an angel all of a sudden pops out in front of you. Psalm 103 verse 20 says, angels have an innate power that excels human beings. There's just something about them, the very presence, you're clearly outgunned. And then Psalm 104 verse 4 says that angels are servants of flaming fire. And we see them lit up and and sometimes even surrounded by flames at times in the scripture. Now, if a flaming dude just popped in front of me, that would be a little frightening, Even in the toned down appearances that some angels made in the Bible, those they visited physically trembled, fainted. Sometimes they were sick and sometimes they even just died by being in their presence. So that's an understandable reason for them to be afraid. But in addition to that, this powerful visit was joined by an experience of God's glory. It says the glory of the Lord shone round about them. In other words, all around it surrounded them. Now, when it says that the glory of the Lord shone round about them, it means that the entire area was lit up or illuminated by God's innate glory, His presence. Paul described this light in 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, as unapproachable. He's giving a doxology, basically, you know, giving praise to the Lord, you know, as he's been teaching Timothy, and then he just gives this praise to who God is. And he describes him, he says, who only has immortality... I'm not immortal, trust me, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach, which no man has seen nor can see. In other words, this mortal frame I live in is not designed to enter into the presence of God's glory. God told Moses no human being could see him face to face and live. In Exodus thirty-three twenty, Moses, he said, Lord, show me your glory. And he goes, I can't. If, I, if no man can see my face and live, if I show you my full glory, you'll die. Exodus 33:20 And he said, "You cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live." So we know that Moses spoke to the Lord. We know that God's presence came down on Mount Sinai, So for a human being to be able to survive God's presence, God either has to tone it down or circumvent this light in some way for us to see it and survive. So even just a fraction of God's glory is terrifying. Some try to describe God's glory as his holiness, but it's more than just that. We're talking about like holiness, the idea of perfection, like no sin at all, and that's true, but it's more than that. It's God's perfect love, his perfect grace, his perfect wisdom and unlimited might. It's his complete knowledge and the absolute purity that he has from selfish attitudes or actions. It's the weight of his eternal nature and probably a thousand other things I might fail to mention. It's all of the creator and righteous king of the universe's nature being brought to bear simply because God draws near. Who would not be overwhelmed by that? Who would not be terrified by it? Sinful actions, selfish attitudes, foolish decisions, lack of understanding, lack of power to act, lack of love, lack of grace, and a thousand other things that are failures in our own life would be so magnified in the presence of such a being to the point that it would be unbearable. If David wondered why God would give him the time of day when he just looked at the stars, can you imagine how you might respond in the presence of God's glory? Well, I think it's significant that the announcement of Jesus' birth starts with a reminder of the vast gap between me and God, that this announcement of good news comes because we're in an awful situation. We are desperately and hopelessly incapable of bridging that gap on our own. You and I cannot all of a sudden say, well, God, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and that will make me good enough to get to heaven or good enough to be in your presence. The answer is that's not possible. And so one of the beautiful reminders of Christmas, one of the warm sources of comfort Christmas brings is a rest from that fear and a rest from our dead works say, dead works. What are dead works? The Bible describes dead works as the things that we do to try to make ourselves acceptable to God, the things we do to try to somehow put God in our debt, the things we do to try to earn heaven and salvation, the things that we do to try to somehow measure up and be able to close that gap between us and God. The reason they're called dead works is because they're not working. They're useless. You'll never bridge the gap. If you can even say, well, I'm better than all these other people. That's fine. But that's like trying to jump from a mountain to the moon instead of a valley to the moon. Neither of you are making it. Neither of you are making it. And you're both going to crash and burn when you jump. It's my efforts to make myself acceptable to God. Christmas can be a stressful time. Finances might be challenging in a time of generosity and giving. Busyness can overwhelm us even though the busy things are supposed to be celebratory or time well spent with others. Loneliness can seep in despite being surrounded by friends and loved ones. And of course, sin and sickness and life trials do not take a break just because we're listening to Christmas carols. But all of that can be countered by these simple words, fear not the biggest stress point, the biggest stressor in the whole universe has already been dealt with. God came near. And so no matter how bad the finances are or how busy things get or how lonely you feel or how unmagical the season might be for you personally, you and I can enter into God's presence and not be afraid. I can let all His vastness, His power, His holiness, His perfectness wash over me and be at rest not because I've closed the gap, but because he did. Because he came and he became a man and then died on the cross for my sins. He came near. And then he said, don't be afraid. I am doing something wonderful so you can rest from that fear when my presence comes upon you. I'm doing something wonderful so you can rest from trying to measure up or be good enough or close the gap. This morning, if you're in Christ, in other words, if you've repented of your sins and trusted Christ as your Savior, well, then that light, His light, His sin purging holy perfection, invites you close to come near, even though you should not belong, but because He's made you belong. This Christmas, you can rest in that. You don't have to be fearful. God is not against you, He loves you and He wants you to come close. Amen. If you don't know the Lord this morning, if you're here and you've never repented of your sins, never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've been trying to say, well, I need my good deeds to that way my dad deeds, or I just need to do enough of these religious things, and that will be good enough for God. If that's how you've been relating to God, then you have reason to fear. But you also have a reason to change. God loves you, and he wants to bring you close. And so I ask you this morning, will you turn from your sin and place your trust in Christ? Will you answer God's invitation? Well, the second thing the angel announces, first says, fear not. The second thing he says is, behold. The angel said to him, fear not, for behold. The word behold, it means pay attention. Check this out. The angel wanted the shepherds to take their minds off the terrifying concept of the gap between them and God. He says, I understand why you feel that way, but you don't need to be afraid. I want you to put your attention on something else. And so while you and I always need to understand how ugly our sin is and how we could never be good enough to make ourselves right with God, coming to that conclusion is not salvation. Coming to the conclusion that you're never gonna be good enough for God is not salvation. I need to turn from my sin, I need to repent. I need to turn from my sin and I need to turn toward a source of help that's outside myself. And so the behold here, the check this out, is an attention getter. Pay attention to this. Yes, you have cause to be terrified, but God has done something so wonderful that I need you to listen to it instead of remaining terrified. And so in an application for us today, I think it's an important part of truly celebrating Christmas is letting God get your attention. It is way too easy to get so busy that we miss the point. The shepherds were told to pay attention because there was something they needed to do. This will be the sign. This is where you'll find him. Go find Jesus and then go tell others. And they were only going to do that if they paid attention to what the angel had to say. If Christmas is only about making sure I carve out enough time to get the presents and cook the food or go to the places I'm supposed to go to... If I don't take time to find Jesus and tell others the wonderful news about Him, then I'm not giving the birth of Christ its due attention. We, many of you have probably already attended some type of a Christmas event, like a, a party or something that's gone on here with the various ministries that are going on. We've got a few more this week. And I don't tell them what to do at their parties. I don't, I don't, they manage their own ministries and stuff. But I know at each of those parties... There is at some point in time where we're going to talk about Jesus, whether it's a devotional or they're going to have some worship time of worship singing or someone's going to give a teaching or people are going to share together about what the Lord has done for them. The point is, is we're not going to miss the point. We're going to make sure we don't miss the point. Because while it's wonderful to give gifts and to eat yummy food and to hang out with one another, none of those things are bad if you don't eat too much yummy food. But (laughs) None of those things are bad in and of itself. The idea is that we could do that anytime. So the reason we're having a Christmas dinner or a Christmas party, you say, well, you know, why should I be there? Why is this important? Or why do I come? Well, it's not so you can be entertained or you can get the food you like or because the events that are going on are things that make you smile and happy. You're there because we want to pay attention to Jesus. We want to stop. We want to take time out of our busyness to stop and reflect on God's wonderful gift. We are only a few weeks into December right now, but how are you doing so far? Does God have your attention? Are you checking Jesus out? And are you telling others about him? If not, the good news is that it's only the 11th. You could turn it around, and you can make a decision to do that this morning. So don't be afraid. The biggest stressor in the universe has already been taken care of. Pay attention, take time to stop and find Jesus and tell others. The third part of the message was, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you good tidings. It's the word in the Greek is euangelion, which is where we get our word evangelism from. So the evangel, or the good news, as we translate it into English, the good tidings, the good news, is being announced. So I'm here to announce good news that is a reason of great joy, means that's of a great reason for gladness, or it's a great cause for gladness. So the angel is explaining, this is why you don't have to fear. You're not gonna be wiped out or judged, you're going to hear some awesome news, some wonderful news, a reason to put gladness in your heart. Jewish shepherds, like all Israelis, lived under the Roman Empire. And even though maybe as an individual Israeli, you were free to worship as a Jew, you were free to go to the temple and worship the Lord and and be a follower of Jehovah, you were allowed to do that. Even though that was the case, things under Rome were far from good. And so they had heard a lot about this promised Messiah who was going to come rescue them and cause them to triumph over their enemies. They were constantly hoping for some good news in their downtrodden situation. They were hoping every day for a good reason to be glad. The dictionary defines gladness a little bit different than joy. Joy is, is kind of like an exuberant outward expression of happiness or being pleased with a situation. I always kind of think of joy as someone who went, yeah! like that's kind of joy. It's very outward, very obvious, very clear. They're happy. Gladness, though, it means a pleased or joyful condition of mind, a general cheerfulness, a feeling of quiet and temperate exhilaration in the soul. Gladness is just a not like an onrush of happiness or excitement. That yeah, things are good, but it's a like a, a steady state of the soul where you're just cheerful, where things are good in your heart. So this news that the angel was announcing was going to be a reason for that. That every day they could be cheerful. Now. You and I know that Rome would not only not go away after Jesus was born, but that soon Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans, and they would deport Israelis all over the empire in just a few decades. So clearly, getting rid of Rome is not the good news. The angel's good news would be a reason for great gladness in the midst of Rome's oppressive rule. And I think that's an important truth of application for us as well. Maybe it's just my perception, but too often to me it seems Christians walk around angry, bummed out, or hopeless today. I hear far more about stockpiling canned goods than I do about sharing the gospel. The shepherds had ample reason to be angry, bummed out, or hopeless. The good news that the angel brought to them was not a better government, but something that would be a reason for great joy in the midst of bad government. When we celebrate Jesus' birth, it is such an important reminder that I have every reason to be filled with joy, no matter what's going on around me, to have gladness in my heart. Now, here's the truth of it. Even if everything out in the culture was going great, most of us have plenty of challenges besides that. We struggle against our own sin, the enemy's lies, trusting God, loneliness, pain, broken relationships, and financial trials. But in all of those situations, there is a cause for great joy. Amen? And it's the awesome news that we celebrate every December. While it would have been awesome to experience what the shepherds did, we have an advantage over them. They heard the angel, but we understand the announcement better because we look back at the cross and the resurrection. We know that it didn't lead to overthrowing Rome. It didn't lead to all the circumstances being exactly as they wanted them to be but we know that because Jesus died for our sins and He rose from the dead that everything's going to be all right because everything is all right between us and the Lord. And so I ask you this morning, are you taking time to stop this Christmas to let the good news fill you with great joy? Are you taking time to stop this Christmas to let this good news comfort you in your struggles against sin or against the enemy or whatever else you face? Are you taking the time to remind yourself why we do what we do during this season? The last part of verse 10 here, the fourth thing that the angel says, is that this great joy, it says, which shall be to all people. This great joy shall exist to all the people, literally is what it says in the original language. In other words, this joy wasn't intended to be just for the shepherds. They weren't just to go, wow, you're announcing this to us? That's great. This is wonderful. We can be happy. No, it was for all the people of Israel and eventually for all the world. I think you would agree with me that our current world is the opposite of great joy. I don't ever look out and see great joy, great gladness. In fact, these days, the goal seems to be I'm going to find joy by removing the people around me who I see as obstacles to my joy. Whichever side you're on. And so even though Jesus came, instead of great joy, we see anger, hatred, division, and frustration. And that was sadly the response to the incarnation in Jesus' day. When he became a man, the incarnation, God becoming a man, when he was born, this was the response of many in Israel. Some believed and experienced the great joy of having their sins forgiven and knowing the Lord. But many continued in their anger and hate and divisiveness, and frustration, and they saw Jesus as an obstacle to their joy. Isaiah talked about this in Isaiah chapter 9, when he was predicting the coming of the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, a very famous section of Scripture, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, The mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace but before isaiah brings that up he has five verses and he explains the situation in the nation of israel during that time in isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 he says nevertheless even though messiah is coming nevertheless the dimness the gloom shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. In other words, the Lord, Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah is saying there's going to come a time in the future, the time of the Messiah, when there's going to be a gloom over Israel. And it's not going to be like the gloom when God would send discipline because they weren't walking with him and invaders would come in. And it certainly won't be like the gloom that I've predicted is coming when Babylon's going to come and take you captive and take you out of the promised land. But it will be a time of gloom, a time in Galilee of the nations when it's gloomy. Well, Jesus was born in Galilee of the nations. into that gloom, But verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. The idea communicated here is that it wasn't just the shepherds who would experience the beautifulness of God, being able to come close to God, of God's glory, but because Jesus himself would live in our midst. God would live in our midst. He became a man. They would all experience that, up close and personal. But you and I know the story. We read in verses 3 through 5, and it talks about how the Messiah will eventually conquer and raise up the nation again to a place of freedom and and joy. But we also know that the Bible in those prophecies has kind of a a double fulfillment. We have Jesus' first coming where He dies on the cross for our sins, and then we await His second coming when He comes to rule and reign and put down all wickedness. And so the idea was, is they're like, okay, well, you're, you're saying you're the light in the darkness. Why is Rome still here? What about this group of people that we don't like? Why, why, how come you haven't dealt with them? What about these problems that are going on in our culture, and our nation? Why haven't you dealt with that? And when Jesus kept focusing on the idea of God's light coming near and us not have to be afraid of anymore, that we could get close to the Lord, that God wanted to deal with our sin, they saw Jesus as the obstacle to their joy and He was crucified. All of them experienced a great light. It shined on all of them, but only some believed. And those who believed, verse 6, unto us, all of us, a child was born unto us, a son is given. But not everyone called His name wonderful. Those who believed would call Jesus wonderful because He did miraculous things in their lives. Those who believed would call Jesus counselor because the things he said to move them in a certain direction, those things that he said were wise and valuable. They would call Jesus the mighty God because he was Jehovah of old, the creator who has no limitations. They would call Jesus the everlasting father because his eternal nature made him bigger than what they could see, hear, or touch. And they would call Jesus the prince of peace because he broke down the impossible wall between them and God, as well as every impossible wall that men erect between one another. Those who believed decided to look to his coming kingdom rather than live for the disappointment of something temporary, like the angry, hateful, divisive, and frustrated world around them. The angel is explaining to the shepherds that the great joy we're meant to know today is not to be a selfish joy. It's not just for me at the expense of others or even to the exclusion of others. This joy that we have when we think about God's incredible gift of His own Son, it's to be shared with brothers and sisters who have made the same decision that you have made. With them, but it's also to be shared to those who haven't embraced the great news yet. When we reflect on the birth of Christ, selflessness should be far far away from those reflections. I know that I hear sometimes people say, "Oh, I miss my high school days." I would never want to go back to high school. <laughs> never ever under any circumstances. I like being married. I did not like chasing girls. <laughs> and coming up empty pretty much all the time. I love my kids. I love my family. No, I don't like my aches and pains as I get older. But I don't want to go back to that time. I certainly don't want to live through middle school again. That was awful. And as much as my parents and people that I know said I was a cute baby, I do not want to go back to that time. I have no interest in going back to a time I can even remember. And yet the God of all creation became a man, born as a baby, grew up just like you and I grew up, had family, siblings, challenges, imperfect mom and dad, had to go to work. I mean, if I had a choice between that and heaven, I think I know which I'm staying. I'm not coming down here. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When we reflect on the birth of Christ, selflessness should be far, far away from those reflections. It should be a time of remembering the selflessness of the incarnation. Hebrews chapter 10 describes Jesus and the Father having a conversation in heaven. When Jesus says, Dad, burn offerings and sacrifice, that's not what you're looking for, is it? No, son. You've prepared a body for me. Yes, son. Well, then, I come to do thy will, O God. Jesus and the Father describing what God really wanted was to draw us close, to fix the relationship that was broken because of our sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned our own way. We can blame Adam and Eve all we want. The truth is we duplicated their decision, and we still do. But God didn't want to leave us there. And nothing that we could do could atone for that, only something he could do. A perfect substitute that he would bear all the wrath we deserve for our sin. And so Jesus took on a body, completely selfness, emptied himself, of all the privileges that he had as the Son of God, as the second member of the Godhead. He stepped into our world, lived in our muck and our mire, and then he died for our sins. Christmas can be a crazy time of year, but you and I don't have to get wrapped up in self. We don't have to see others as obstacles to what we have to get done. All of us can choose to remember the incarnation, Christ's selflessness and how he came to lay his life down for all even those who put him on the cross. And so, what has it been for you this Christmas? Are you sharing that joy with others by both your words and your actions? Or are the people around you a sort of anger and frustration? Do you see the people around you as those you want them to share in your joy or do you see them as obstacles to your joy? Because this great joy isn't just for you. It's for all people. Well, next week, during our Christmas celebration services, we'll look at the rest of the angel's message in verse 11. But to summarize our study this morning, I leave you with the original first line of the carol. Whatever you're going through today, brothers and sisters, sit yo merry. May God give you rest. May God keep you in harmony with each other and in great joy this Christmas season. May nothing dismay you, because Jesus left heaven to rescue to rescue you, and He was successful in His loving mission. Amen? Amen? Lord, we thank You so much that You loved us, and You still love us. We thank You, Lord, for this awesome declaration, and Lord, we recognize we're living afterwards. We're living in the world Maybe not the same exact world, but the concept, the post-birth world that the shepherds had to exist in. This was an exciting night, but the rest of their days would encounter unique challenges. Not everyone would believe them. Some would think they were crazy and lost their mind, and some would just reject you. So, Lord, that's the world we live in today. Lord, here we do, we share, we sing together, we celebrate, we hang out with brothers and sisters, but Lord, there's lots of people who don't agree with us. There's lots of people who don't see it that way. So Lord, this year we want to make sure we heed the message, the message that the angel gave that was to help the shepherds not just go find Jesus, but to live from now on. Lord, we want to, Lord, I want to heed the message. So, Lord, if there are some today that either don't know you or are just overburdened by all the things going on in their life, remind them they don't need to be afraid because the most important problem has already been solved. I pray that you'd encourage all of us to stop, to behold, to pay attention to you this Christmas, to find you. And then, Lord, as we experience the great joy of finding you, the good news that brings a, that settled gladness in our heart, Lord, give us courage and boldness and your supernatural love to share that good news with others. Lord, for every brother or sister this morning, you might be saying, Lord, I've, I've missed it so far. I'm, I'm off pace. or I'm, Maybe, Lord, they're, they're not walking with you right now. and they're, They want to make things right. Lord, will you forgive them? Will you draw them close? And help us all to make the most out of the next few weeks of this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.